Before we begin, the episode today will focus on the Black Lives Matter movement. The views and thoughts expressed in this podcast is that of the staff and students of Guildford Campus and the host. These views do not represent those of the University of Law. We hope you find this podcast insightful and please feel free to share your thoughts with me with that my email at akil.balagopal18 at law.ac.uk. We hope you enjoy the episode. Hello and welcome back to the University of Law Guildford's in Black and White podcast. I'm your host, Akil Balagopal, and I'm the BAME advocate for the Guildford and Reading campus. Firstly, I'd like to apologise for delaying getting the second episode out, but finally it's here and we're excited to bring to you guys more exciting content. The focus for this episode was meant to be the discussion of employability, but since our last episode, we have decided to dedicate this episode to discuss events that shocked the world on May 25th of this year. George Floyd, a 46-year-old black man, was killed in Minnesota during an arrest for allegedly using a counterfeit bill. Derek Chauvin, a white police officer, had knelt on Floyd's neck for 8 minutes and 46 seconds while Floyd was handcuffed and lying face down, begging for his life and repeatedly saying, I can't breathe. This sparked outrage across the world, with Black Lives Matter rallies being organised in the USA and across many other countries. The UK soon followed suit on May 31st with rallies taking place all over the country. The impact of the BLM movement has been monumental, with social media campaigns flourishing and the message being presented loud and clear. Since George Floyd's death, many of us have become more informed and recognised with how apparent racism may have been throughout our lives, with diversity and inclusivity taking on a whole new meaning. I've always wanted this podcast to be a way of allowing students to voice their opinions and share their experience at the university. And therefore, today I'm joined by the student vice president of Guildford Campus, Tabitha Lee, and fellow BAME advocates, Kamal and Leone. Um, so before we begin, I, I want to let everyone introduce themselves and say what it is that they're studying at ULaw and um, tell me a bit about yourselves. Uh, so Tabitha. Hello, everyone. Um, so as Akil was saying, my name is Tabitha Lee and I am the vice president for our Guildford campus. I have just finished my three-year LLB, so I am starting my LPC this coming September. Hello everyone, uh, my name is Kamal and as Akil said, I'm also a BAME advocate, but I'm based at the Birmingham campus. So I finished my LLB and LLM degree from the University of Warwick last year, and I'm currently an LPC student at the University of Law. Um, hi, uh, I'm Leonie. I'm also a BAME advocate at the Birmingham campus and in September I'll be uh, studying my LLB uh, final year. Perfect. So thank you guys for joining me today. Um, so today I thought I just we'll just talk about everything that's happened recently. It's been a crazy year as it is. So um, starting off with... Kamal, how, how would you say like the events that took place on the 25th of May uh, has affected you since and with everything that's gone on with the BLM movement? Um, to be honest, when I first saw the video, it was pretty upsetting. Like I found it very hard to watch because it was about eight minutes. And the whole time I was just thinking, why isn't anyone helping him? Because the police officer had his knee on his neck for so long. And obviously he was saying he can't breathe and the people recording the video were very upset about everything going on. 
Um, and then since then, the reaction that's come from that has been a bit encouraging because obviously we've seen a lot of protests. Um, we've seen a lot of um, employers trying to make a change and be more aware of the fact that Black people and other ethnic minority people generally are discriminated and don't necessarily get the same opportunities that other people do get. Um, obviously, we had the whole Black Square thing going on, which some people could say detracted from everything that was happening. But I would say overall, I was quite encouraged by the reaction to it. And I just hope that moving forward, um, employers and the justice system in general does make a change and kind of curb some of the inequality we have going on right now. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Leonie, how about you? How do you feel with everything that's happened? Um, when I first heard about it and I couldn't get full the three video because it was just so upsetting and disturbing. Mm-hmm. It was just, it was absolutely horrific. And it's it's so upsetting because there's been so many cases like George Floyd and it's just it's it's just really disheartening and just I, I I have no word to describe how I felt and how I feel about the situation about yeah I'm sorry but um as Kamal said yeah I think it was encouraging to see like people how people's reactions and people were saying this needs to stop and I hope it's not just performative and it's not just a phase and I hope it continues. Yeah, amazing. And yourself, Tabitha? Um, I would agree with Kamala and Leone completely and I would probably just add that it's really sad that an event like that had to take place to bring about protests and stuff like inequalities like that and exactly what happened shouldn't even go on now we're in the 21st century and it's so sad that it continues to happen and there's many other events not even George Floyd there's so many other different cases that have occurred that probably haven't even had the same media attention but I think an event like that is a it's it's a way of bringing everyone together and kind of realizing that there are these inequalities and they still do go on but yeah cool so with the BLM movement, the magnitude of it has obviously transferred over to social media like Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Um, when it happened, it was literally every day I was walk- I was waking up and my feed was full of Black Lives Matter posts and a lot of educational stuff. Was there anything that you guys did to promote on your Instagrams or like Kamal, you mentioned uh, Blackout Tuesday, which was incredible the way like the whole of instagram was just full of black screens but then there were some people who were like quite skeptical of the movement how did you guys feel about that yeah um i woke up on the day it happened i just i went to open instagram the whole thing was black and i, I didn't know what was going on um mm-hmm. so immediately i thought okay is this like a ploy to make everyone on instagram more aware of what's going on and like detract from the normal stuff of what people post on Instagram was and then I looked into it a bit more and I found out it came from the music industry and things connected to that and then I started seeing posts of people saying you should take down the black squares because it's dominating the algorithm of Instagram and Twitter and detracting from petitions and things like that that was going on so my overall view on it was 
I appreciated the sentiment of people um, posting it in solidarity of what was going on. Um, I would have appreciated a bit more research into why it was being done and not um, captioning Black Lives Matter as one of the captions under the Black Squares, because when people do click on the hashtag, they go to the Black Squares instead of the petitions and um, the posts that were actually spreading awareness on the issue. Um, but overall, I, I think it still, it still counts for something in that people support in any way they can. But at the same time, it is easy to post a Black Square and not do anything more. So I guess that's the counterbalance to it. Yeah, I think a lot of useful stuff that I saw was with the black screens as well, people also posted links to um, uh, charities and like petitions and courses. And it was like a really good spiral because the more black squares that went, it was like the more that people were aware. And a part of me, I thought it was going to be a one day thing, but then I saw some black squares the, the week after, but it slowly started to fade away. Like, do you guys think it, some people treated it like a trend? Mm-hmm. and didn't really like follow yeah. up on it from certain people it did seem a bit performative and uh, I can see why some people said like posting the black squares was just a way to say I support the black lives matter movement but not actually taking any action towards the movement mm-hmm. yeah. I mean me personally um, I didn't post a black square because I thought it'd be easier for me to donate. So I donated money rather than posting a black square because I thought it was more like what everyone else is saying, like a trend, like a way to follow Instagram. It's although you're bringing about awareness, you're posting a black square, you're saying black lives matter. But as Kamal was saying, people were just posting that yet not donating. Mm. You need to make a real change by donating that 10, 20 pounds towards a charity. You're helping more lives. You're actually making a real difference by rather than posting a black square, it's kind of, you're promoting it, but you're not giving. And the whole point in this movement is to give and to make things better. Yeah, absolutely. I think yeah. like, I completely agree with the performative side of things, you know, because I feel like everyone was doing it, so they'll be like, oh, if I do this, if I post a black square, then it shows that I support BLM. But then, yeah, absolutely, mm-hmm. it's up for, like, if you don't donate or if you don't post useful links mm-hmm. anywhere, then it's not getting the outreach mm-hmm. that it should. Mm-hmm. 100%. Like, some of my friends, like, in our normal group chats, we were discussing people posting black squares, and I said openly, like, I hadn't done that, but I donated. And it's as though you felt like people were pressuring you to do mm. that to kind of fit in with everyone yeah. yeah I feel myself donating that 10 pounds I feel like I've done a lot more than posting a black square and that's my yeah, personal absolutely. view yeah I agree um speaking of group chats actually have you guys had to have any like uncomfortable conversations at all with your friends about the whole thing that's happened or you know no because personally I don't keep people around who don't share the same views as myself mm. on certain subjects. Yeah, absolutely. What about you, um, Kamal? Was there any? I, I won't necessarily say uncomfortable, but I, I did have conversations with people that didn't necessarily understand the whole thing. So I know some people who, I guess, come from other communities that may be disadvantaged as well. Um, I'm Muslim, I have a lot of Muslim friends. Um, Islamophobia is a big thing in, over here in the UK for Asian people. Um, so I did have friends who questioned why, when, or why did I have to 
come to Black Lives Matter for everyone to unite and go on protest? Why is it that when um, Muslims were being discriminated against for years and years, no one said anything? Um, so that was a conversation I had to have and I had to explain to them, like, for one, I don't think Black Lives Matter is just for Black people. Um, whilst it is Black people and Black people are the face of it, the sentence behind it is to stop inequality and treat everyone equally. So if the message does get across to the wider community, then everyone um, would be treated fairly, including Muslims and Asian people that are affected by things going on with them. Um, so I think by the end of it, they did understand um, where I was coming from. Yeah. Um, overall, I didn't have any um, opposition, I guess, to the whole thing. Mm-hmm. I think that's the um, main thing, because some of the protests against the BLM movement was because obviously Black Lives Matter is hugely important because that's the community that needs our help at the moment, and that's what the soul focuses on. But then there were some people who were like, yeah, but all lives matter. And you're thinking, God, like, you know, it's, I guess it comes to the idea of just not being selfish for one day and just taking into consideration, like, the matter at hand. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Did you guys have to face any, like, oh, unfortunately, like, come across anyone with the all lives matter sort of stigma? Yeah. I mean, I've never understood the all lives matter thing because I, I just don't get why saying black lives matter means all lives don't matter. I, I just, I feel like it's an intentional thing being done just to detract from what's going on. Because um, at the end of the day, we, we know all lives matter. Um, but yeah. at the same time, mm-hmm. you can clearly see that black people are being treated a certain way, that other people aren't being treated in that exact same way. Mm. Um, so if we're talking about Black Lives Matter, obviously we're referring to the inequalities currently happening and trying to address that for everyone. So All Lives Matter, I know one person who I actually lived with, um, and I never like got any racist vibe from the person who was living with them. Um, but they're very much an all lives matter person. Um, they were posting things about George Floyd and how he was a criminal. Um, yet we've turned him into this martyr and I'm getting loads of sympathy for him. And then after the stabbings happened in Reading, um, they were going on about how we're not having any protests for them. And why is it just black, black people, all lives matter, those kind of things. So I think it's kind of interesting to see that even though you could live with someone and not be racist or not get any racist vibes from them, um, internally, they may still hold racist values or not necessarily acknowledge their privilege, um, which is what I sense from that situation. Yeah, absolutely. Because I think that must have made you feel quite uncomfortable because obviously, you know, you've got this perception um, that they do not have any, I would say, you know, any racist values, but when they're posting on their social media going against what you're saying, would you take the Leonie approach and <laughs> unfriend them and move on? Or, you know, how, so how do you, so if you do come across people like that who have like an opposed view and some may say a wrong view, but, you know, everyone's entitled to their opinion, how would you address that, would you say? Um, in this day and age, especially when social media is full of, you know, facts and figures of full of opinions as well. Like, how would you yeah. influence someone like that? I, I personally don't mind people having different views than me. Um, but I guess, like Leonie said, I think it just depends on what, what it is, um, their view is. 
someone that posts all lives matter or doesn't acknowledge the pain black people go can easily see that as coming from a place of ignorance and not necessarily hatred for black people um so my first step would be to try and talk to them to understand why they think what they think mm. and then if from talking to them i can see that okay this person just doesn't want to acknowledge it because he feels as though if black people have equal rights it means he has less or anything in that sort of arena where the person feels attacked by other people having rights then i may take the leonie approach and just say okay <laughs> it's not worth it but yeah. some people genuinely just don't know and do need because i'm pretty sure a lot of us have been in a situation where um we've had an issue on an issue and then over the time we've changed our mind because we had new information um some of those people may fall into that category so i think it's just about treating it on a one-to-one basis and determining where the motivations come from and why they hold the view that they do absolutely um yeah so i think i'm saying like a lot of our generation are more open-minded whereas i think the older generation that what you see on like facebook and social media do end up posting the whole you know the all lives matter and how the BLM movement isn't as mm-hmm. um as important and um it does quit, put you in quite a awkward situation because you're just like you'd, you'd want to educate them but they're so close-minded mm-hmm. like you said Kamal it is difficult mm-hmm. um so moving forward like from a university perspective have you guys experienced any like you know racial harassment or experiences while studying at university during your time there? Um, I, I would say I haven't necessarily um, experienced anything whilst on campus. Um, experienced racism off campus, and it's quite a few times as well because I've only been here about five, five, six years now. Mm. And I would say in five to ten recent incidents happened in that space. So I can only imagine what it's like for people who, who were born here or born in majority um, white cities where people go out of their way to be racist. Um, yeah. but, I, but in general, yeah, I, there were a few racist incidents on the campus. None of them just happened to me. I remember there was a story of um, this was a black girl in her um, in her room and some guys got bananas and wrote like monkeys on the bananas in the fridge and kept it there for them. Um, sorry about that happening. Um, but thankfully, I, I haven't gotten any. Um, I don't know if the um, UNI or Tabitha have experienced any. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Have you guys like not experienced yourself maybe or seen anyone else experience it perhaps? Um, I've definitely encountered quite a few microaggressions like comments about my hair or just inappropriate things that you shouldn't say to a mm. black person. And I've, I've called people out on it and I've addressed it. So in terms of that covert racism, yes, I have, but I haven't experienced over racism okay, yeah. at the university. Yeah, it's quite, it's quite mm. interesting that you mentioned that because I think from everything that's happened, a lot of terms like microaggression and... Um, just the forefront of like racial stereotypes becoming a thing it's i think it's been eye-opening really to see like racism doesn't just you know 
stop at like racial attacks about someone's skin color yeah. or anything mm-hmm. but there are also other comments that people need to be aware about when they're making so um what about you mm-hmm. Tab? have you seen anything like this or um, come across anything um i've heard a story in the past where there was an incident on a group chat and the year below myself and i know the university handled it in the most excellent way and that student was removed from the student body who was being racist and i think the university handled it in the best way possible that they could have and i commend them for it because no one should experience racist behavior either at uni or in the public eye it's Mm. completely absurd in my mind and i think the uni handled it in an amazing way yeah i mean it's especially important because i think in comparison to schools to university like you're a lot older Mm -hmm. you know you're 18 Mm -hmm. and do you guys do you feel like if you were to experience any racial harassment or like see any racial do you feel like you're comfortable enough to report this to the student body or report to the students like Mm -hmm. the staff at the university um no right now i don't think we have a procedure in place um at least it's not advertised um in a way that a lot of people do now um we had a meeting recently with some other people um that are behind these decisions and um they are implementing soon like a website where people can um report things that happen to them either in person or anonymously which i think would go a long way to helping people report racist incidents um i personally I don't know if I would, just because I think things like that are kind of hard to prove. It's like he say, she say. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Although investigations can be done, if the person denies it, I say he said it. I, it's really hard to know where it's going to go from there. Um, and I think mm-hmm. that's what a lot of people do fair. It's like, one, would it go anywhere? And two, would it be minimized? Because I know there are um, instances where someone says something. And the person that has the power may be like, oh, he probably didn't mean it that way, um, which kind of, I don't know, it, it takes away from the person that actually felt victimized in that situation because um, their experience is being downplayed by someone else. And so I know that's a fear a lot of people do have as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. So, um, Tabitha, you were saying as students and as like the university what do you think the university can do to tackle like race issues moving forward and to show support for the black lives matter movement Mm -hmm. i think in particular around the guildford campus we're really good at putting posters up to raise awareness we do this in other areas and stuff like we have a women's society at uh, the guildford campus so maybe setting up different societies and stuff and also maybe having extra teacher training on the issue or possibly even like a not like like you have a mental health counsellor someone that you can go to and express your issues and concerns would be a really good point of call I think and I think you just need to be able to have the confidence with your teachers to be able to have those conversations as in your personal tutors or and just building up your good friendship groups you can just sit in the canteen and have a chat and openly be able to discuss issues and how you're feeling is always a really good way of tackling how you're feeling yeah, i think um like based on like the guildford campus so where me and you go to have like mm-hmm. of course it's been difficult with covid to actually like mm-hmm. you know talk and get in touch with the teachers and stuff mm-hmm. and hence why stuff like this podcast helps students you know reach out definitely um with our campus as you know like the staff is very heavily uh female and from a white background mm-hmm. um, yes 
do you think students will be comfortable coming forward? Do you think the staff at the university are well capable to uh, deal with race issues or would they be more comfortable talking to the student roles such as myself mm-hmm. or, or yourself, for example? Um, I mean, I would love to say yes, that students could go and talk to teachers at any point, but obviously everyone's different. They may feel like they can't talk to a white female if they are of an ethnic minority. They may feel slightly uncomfortable. And I know at the Guildford campus, there aren't many ethnic minority kind of students. But in my class, we do have a quite a high number compared to other years. And I feel like everyone gets along anyway. You'd never... Mm -hmm treat anyone differently everyone's equal and I would never kind of disadvantage anyone for that but I'd hope that anyone who had a problem would be able to come to me as a class rep and a vice president and then I would feel comfortable expressing any issues and concerns they had to teachers because at the end of the day they're the ones that can make a big difference and say something to the campus dean but as you were saying Akil it can be hard for some people to open up and say things so having societies and other things in place yeah. will definitely help students that might be a bit worried or scared to talk to teachers. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. like Kamal and Leona, you're from the Birmingham campus, and like, so you've heard me and Tabitha talk about the problems that we've got at Guildford with the lack of diversity at certain points. Uh, what has your university done? What your campus done to like tackle some race issues, or what do you think they can do moving forward um, onto like the next calendar year and stuff? Yeah, so our campus is kind of similar to yours. I think from what I've seen, it's mostly white women that do form the teaching body. Um, we, sp- <clears throat> we spoke to campus dean recently, and she was saying that they are increasing the rates of um, black and ethnic minority teachers um, compared to when she started. Um, so I know it's something like the Birmingham campus is actively trying to improve. I think Birmingham as a city in general is quite diverse. Um, there are a lot of Asian people here, a lot of black people here, um, more than I guess a lot of other cities in the UK. So I think it is important to have that represented. I know in my in my class, there's about there's I think two white students in the whole class. Uh, so it is quite different to other places in the UK. And I think like Tabitha said, um, I don't I don't know if these students are necessarily comfortable going to teachers. Um, to talk about things that happen to them. Um, that's why I think the role that we have as BAME advocates is really important for um, students because um, in general, if something does happen to them, it's always easier talking to someone closer to your age, someone you can relate to, because um, you don't have to censor yourself the same way um, as if you were reporting to a teacher. Um, so with us um, having the role we have and being able to have our inputs in some of the policies the university makes moving forward, and also in terms of ideas like one-to-one talks and things like that, I feel as though we have an important role to play in um, helping spread the message across campus. Yeah, um, I think that there should be more um, Black and Asian teachers because in order for students to feel comfortable reporting instances, I don't know if personally I would feel comfortable talking to a white teacher about a racist incident that I've experienced. Just as a matter of fact, of I don't know if they would, they I don't think they would understand how colorism feels or how racism feels or like the concept of microaggressions. I don't think they can truly understand or empathize with a black or Asian person who's experienced that and I don't know 
because of that lack of empathy, if they'd be able to see it for what it is, or they may see it as dismiss, they may dismiss it and say, no, maybe they didn't mean it in that way. Like I want, I would want to be heard and listened to and believed. And yeah. I don't know if I'd feel comfortable talking about something like that to someone who may not be able to relate to me and in terms of uh what more can the uni do in other than uh, hiring more black and asian teachers i think there should be like a sense of community at the university because i don't know about your campus but i'd say our campus is very academic based so societies mm. and clubs people aren't very much interested in that they're very much interested in their grades and uh the academics of it all and I feel like it, maybe it should be more social so we can all get to know each other and that might help break down a couple of walls yeah absolutely yeah definitely so um I think that's an important issue to raise because especially like based on new law um a lot of the students and a lot of the campus is purely academic and I know Tabitha you had some ideas to promote like the social side of student life at ULaw this year, but unfortunately with COVID getting in the way, it's been kind of difficult. Mm-hmm. And it is, like you said, Leonie, like, it is important to have societies. And mm-hmm. um, do you have any ideas at all, like moving forward, what, what we can do as like the student community to promote that for the future? Well, well um, the Bangkok campus has the African Caribbean Society and I think the Man- there's a African Caribbean Society at the Manchester campus and the Bloomsbury campus. And I think it'd be great if um, there could be an African Caribbean Society at every single campus because we could uh, obviously not maybe do face-to-face events at this current time, but maybe virtual events over Zoom and build a real sense of community. Yeah, Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's important to, yeah, I think community is the, like, the foundational basis of promotion, promoting, like, race equality, and it's just not limited to um, BAME students, I say. Um, you know, opened our eyes to a lot of other issues, like the BAME community might be facing, so... From like a legal perspective, uh, Kamal, you were saying, um, we were talking about the attainment gap that students are facing at the moment and like, it sounds like a real issue in the legal world at the moment. Yeah, um, so our role primarily as BAME advocates was to kind of bridge the gap between one uh, racial awarding gap in, at undergraduate level and then secondly, when you do leave university in terms of trying to get a job, so as it stands right now, I believe white students, um, about 80% of white students graduate with, with a 2-1 from university. And that's in comparison to about 56% of black students. Um, so the university, at least you know anyway, um, we're looking at that issue and trying to kind of get an understanding of why it is um, that we have such a big gap between white and black students in terms of um, the results they get. And then moving on into getting a job, which I think it's probably even worse in terms of numbers. So right now it's about 14% BAME um, trainee solicitors um, and 86% white, which looking at in terms of the overall population would make sense. 
However, I've always felt that's the wrong way to look at it because not everyone in the UK does a law degree or tries to get into law. Um, if you do look at the numbers, um, it's about 60-40 white to blame in terms of people that actually do study law degree. So right now we have 40% um, Black and Asian minority ethnic people doing law, yet only 14% of them getting a job. Um, so when you look at the ratios, it just doesn't work. And it does make sense why a lot of um, BAME people feel as though they're discriminated against and not given the opportunities to get a job. And then moving forward, when they do get a job in terms of promotion, um, if you look at the partners at most law firms, rarely would you find a black person on the board. Um, it is predominantly white still. I know recently um, some law firms, they started this racial, I think it's called the Racial Fairness Award mm -hmm. Commitment. Yeah. Racial Fairness yeah. Commitment, something like that. Mm -hmm. um, it is aimed at trying to address these issues. So I think there's about 16 or 17 of the top law firms right now. And they plan on tracking, one, the number of Black people and Asian people that get from application to interview and then get promotions. And then if they do leave, try and get the reason why they left. So instituting training for everyone at the firm at the beginning, at induction and that exit. And I feel as though this has obviously been a response to things going on right now within the legal industry or in the wider world, but it's disseminating into the legal industry. Um, but I feel as though it's a very good first step. Um, obviously, there's no like repercussions if they do not follow what they've said, but at least the numbers will be monitored and at the end of the day, it will be published. So we can see that law firms are trying to make a change, um, but hopefully, it does lots more people getting jobs um, and also. Um, more people or more black and Asian people getting better results. So, thanks, Kamal, for like, you know, the facts and figures always help with the attainment gap. And it really does show like there is an issue that does need um, to be resolved with law firms. I feel like sometimes, me personally, law firms do put up this, you know, racial equality act just to fill a quota i don't know if you guys agree with that like sometimes they feel like they have to meet these measures to show mm -hmm. that they are equality they don't actually really believe in the cause sometimes um but yeah i think opinions like that get thrown around all the time um it brings us on to the like it's quite a sensitive topic but the idea of white privilege and it's a term that's been thrown around a lot recently and some do agree it exists and some have also taken different connotations of what it does mean. Um, Tabitha, as a white student, um, mm -hmm. how have you viewed the whole existence of white privilege? Mm -hmm. Well, um, my view is that, I mean, it, go, it still goes on today. It goes on in all walks of life, in all professions. And um, it's something that will continue to happen until a difference really is made. And even in law firms now, and as Kamal was saying earlier, the difference in ethnic minorities is quite significant in work experience I've done. There's not many BAME kind of employees there. And it's it's really disheartening that it still goes on and we need to do as much as we can as a community to kind of diminish it. And it's just working out what the right thing is to do and how we can conquer this white privilege that does go on. And it's such a sad principle that 
is carried on and we're in the 21st century now we're not in the 1800s anymore it's it doesn't matter what race skin color you are now everyone is equal we are the same and it shouldn't matter what color skin you are if you have those grades and you've shown that you're a good law student and you have the experiences you've done pro bono you've done everything then why should you feel disadvantaged just because of your skin color and white supremacy is a real it's a hard time to deal with and the fact that it goes on is it's just really not a nice principle really but I do know this isn't an attack on myself but obviously being a white student you can't really connect with issues like that because you aren't part of the BAME community and you don't know how it feels for other people but it's nice that me personally and other like my friends and stuff you want to be able to understand it and although you never will to a full extent it's you want to be able to understand and just make everyone feel happy and being in a good community and you law is a good community and I hope it continues to be. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think you're spot on there with a lot of white students. I think it could be um, from a student perspective mm. with everything that's going on, it could have been a bit overwhelming, but I think there's a total appreciation for people mm-hmm. who are willing to open become open-minded and educate themselves about yeah. um, what is going on. Cause I think one thing mm-hmm. I stand by is like, I, to- I totally see there's a problem and I will never understand the problem from mm-hmm. that perspective. Cause I'm not, you know, cause I'm you know, not black. So mm-hmm. I will never understand the problem, but I want to understand the problem and like educate myself mm-hmm. that there is an issue. Uh, Kamal and Leonie, like what is your views on white privilege? And do you think, you know, um do you think it exists and what are the um what do you think we can do to tackle it yeah um, i would say it exists um but, but i think it's no different from different sorts of privileges that happen around the world like in nigeria it's a majority black country but there's um class privilege it's a very classist society and it's kind of the equivalent of what we have in the uk of white privilege and I think it's sometimes it's hard to dissociate yourself from your reality. So if you grew up um, a white person or you grew up um, rich uh, in a certain area, that's 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 what you know. Um, that's what you that's what you were born into. It's not your fault you were born white. It's not your fault you were born into a well-known family. Um, and I think sometimes it's hard to get out of the bubble and look outside yourself and sympathize with what's going on with other people because you've never been through it. And nor would you ever, I guess, fully know what it feels like unless it happens to you. Um, so I, I do understand why a lot of white people don't 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 acknowledge the fact that they have white privilege, um, because they go through their own form of struggle. Um, not all of them come from rich backgrounds. Not all of them get jobs. Not all of them um, do well in life generally. So they may feel as though the system works against them sometimes. Um, but I think what's important to know is, although that, that is true, um, it doesn't work against you because of your skin color. Like, no one looked at you and said, he's dangerous just because he's from a skin color. Or no one looked at your hair and said it's unprofessional, even though it's natural. Um, so those sort of things, I, I think, is what white privilege in essence is. It's, it's being able to be yourself and do things whilst being yourself without having to second-guess it. But being black in society means conforming. It means black women having to wear wigs. 
cutting your hair out just so people think she looks professional, she looks normal. Um, so most black people, the, I think the, the, we get upset at white privilege because mm. it is unjust, um, but also we get upset because people think it's not a thing and they think it's not a thing because yeah. it's not a thing to them. Um, so I, I just think why the society just needs to look within itself and try and understand why black people are angry. Um, if you just look at the numbers, where I think we make up 3% of the UK, but when it comes to pretty much every crime number, we're at the highest um, when it comes to being discriminated against. So if you're such a small number, why are you more likely to be stopped and searched? Why are you more likely to be arrested? Why are you more likely to... All those sort of numbers, why, why, is, it, why is that the case? despite how low of the population we make up. So I think in general, man, this whole George Floyd thing, I think a lot of people did learn from it, um, which is, I guess, the one good thing that came out of it. Um, and, I, and I do think moving forward, more people are aware of um, what happened. When you talk about the legal industry, I don't necessarily think people or recruiters do it on purpose. Um, I, I feel it's unconscious most of the time. Just because if you're interviewing someone and the person just reminds you of yourself, naturally speaking, you're just more likely to yeah. relate to them and take them on with someone else that didn't. So sometimes it is unconscious, um, but unfortunately, the repercussions mean kind of being people are left out of the conversation. Yeah, definitely, I think um, it just yeah it goes back to also what Tabitha said, how it's not an attack on white people at all. Like the whole idea of privilege is like it's just been you know automatically presented to white mm-hmm. people and yeah. yeah come on i totally agree i think going to like a, a firm and going for an interview and seeing someone from your same background as you definitely does put you at ease of you know spe- speaking yeah. to <laughs> speaking to international students from um university they've always said that sometimes they feel uncomfortable being in a position where they feel like they can't talk to people because they're surrounded by majority um white people so yeah yeah i think the last two interviews i had and this is i'm gonna say about 20 people in total i was the only non-white person in the whole the whole <laughs> combined so it's not encouraging really when you, when you deep it it's really not encouraging um yeah. but it is what i it guess is, i mean yes. it could also be like totally appreciate it could also be other reasons like you know um, for example, speaking from the Surrey perspective, um, the reason why we have such a high number of uh, white female staff is uh, like geographical reasons, so, mm-hmm. because it's just yeah. um, who we've got from the area, and that's something that can't happen. But I feel like you know there should be more outreach to get more uh, racial diversity, I guess, in those kind of circumstances. So it, yeah, it just heightens the sense of inclusivity for everyone. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it must be so hard for the teachers as well themselves like having to employ people mm. and you can't imagine how much like it takes on them and you like what was discussed earlier you feel like people have to meet quotas and stuff yeah. which they shouldn't have to it should just be automatic that if you have two people standing in front of you and you pick them on ability not on color yeah, absolutely 100 percent all the way yeah but that's the problem yeah like, sometimes it's not yeah, about sometimes it is like based on color for them like that's mm-hmm. the whole problem of uh because in birmingham 
there's a lot of diversity here. There's a lot of Black and Asian um, people who want to go into the legal field, but it's not represented in the law firms. Yeah. Yeah, and also just to add to that, um, sometimes, even though sometimes the ability is equal, like you could have a Black or white person with similar CVs, similar experiences, and it does sometimes come to um, how much they relate to the person mm. and extracurriculars and things like that. So if the recruiters who are majority white people and um, if they're interviewing two people from different backgrounds and one person is just, they just understand it more. It's not even necessary. It doesn't always have to be related. If I'm Nigerian and some of my experiences, you don't totally even understand what it is. Mm. Just naturally speaking, you go with what you understand and you're justified in that because that's what you know. So from a wider perspective, there probably just needs to be a bit more diversity in the recruitment as well, um, or the recruiters themselves. So you'd, you'd have a wider um, range of people um, when recruiting new students into trainees. Definitely. I think it's something that we need to think about post-COVID, like going back to universities. The, mm-hmm. um, it showcases how important societies such as the African society are to educate the students as well as the staff about different cultures and different backgrounds and um, I think by doing that people will be more comfortable to come forward to you know discuss race relations and race issues and all this. Some of the stuff that I came across like social media like Twitter Instagram is like uh, a lot of the issues that have happened with police brutality has taken place in the US and yeah. of course, there are incidents in the UK as well. I'm not saying there isn't, but um, do you think, with everything that's going on, do you think the UK is racist, or is that too much of a broad term? Or do you think there's elements of racism that exist in the UK which still need tackling? Um, I think the UK is just as bad as the US. Um, there's a lot of um, uh, uh, injustice that goes on here as well um, Stephen Lawrence and there's even cases as recently as 2020 and 2019 mm-hmm. forgive me for not remembering the actual names of the cases that involve police brutality um, yeah so I don't think the UK is innocent whatsoever yeah absolutely uh, Kamal yeah I, I would say I would say it's as bad as the US but it is it is definitely <laughs> racist I don't know if it's, yeah it is I would say it is because like I said I've only been here not that long and I've had instances my friends have had instances and it's not even been covert racism it's been pretty pretty covert like you can clearly see it in your face mm. they're not trying to hide it all the protests that were going on it's only in the UK where you had counter protests um, so I think that in itself says a lot about how the people think um, about um, all the protests and racism going on. I remember the one about the Chelsea fans when they're in Amsterdam and they were singing we're racist and we like it that way. And these are British people. Um, and I think the narrative that the UK isn't racist is, is the meaning to kind of associate themselves and not take responsibility for some of the things that happen. Because at the end of the day, a lot of slavery that happened, um, the UK were the ones that took slaves to these different places. Mm. Um, so it started with them. 
and they can try and say they're one of the people to abolish it first, but at the end of the day, it wouldn't have happened if you didn't take us to all these places and you didn't name all these countries after what you could get out of them. Um, and in the society in general, I'll say on an everyday basis, you may not experience it um, in your face as much, um, but there are areas you go to where it is, it is, it is in your face. So yeah, I don't think the UK is in a sense either, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. I mean, those are some really strong views, and I completely appreciate you saying that. I mean, obviously, with Kamal, you mentioning the history that has seen us, you know, with um, the Oxford students. Uh, wanting the Cecil Rhodes statue to be brought down, um, the statue in Bristol that was brought down recently, and obviously the Churchill statue. Like, uh, what are your guys' views on the statues and everything? You know, them being brought down based on the past history that they've had. Like, is it well within the UK's rights to keep up those statues, or you know, we should bring them down immediately? It's a hard one, some of them. I know the Churchill one, because of what he meant to the UK and what he did for the British people, I understand why um, people uh, will not want to bring that down. And with him, I would say, like personally, I don't think we need to bring it down, even though he did hold a lot of racist views, um, just because I, I, I have to... I have to give some weight to the fact that there may not be a Britain if he didn't do what he did. Um, so for a lot of people, that holds a lot of weight, and I can fully understand. But at the same time, it's fine to acknowledge that someone did a lot for your country and at the same time know that they, they had racist views. My issue with it comes from the fact that a lot of people try to act like he didn't have racist views or he, didn't, he wasn't a white supremacist because when it comes down to it, he was... Um, so it's a give and take, um, but I don't mind. I don't mind it, and I'm not British anyway, so <laughs> it doesn't really matter. Yeah. What I, think. I guess, yeah. <laughs> and for, um, Tabitha, like as a white student, um, obviously you mm -hmm. have been very supportive of BLM, and mm -hmm. uh, how have you felt with all the, you know, the, the whole statues issue, and seeing as um, someone from Britain. And mm -hmm. we're taught in history classes how great Churchill was and how instrumental mm -hmm. he was to the war effort. Do you mm -hmm. think his his personal views should impact that at all? I mean, I think you're going back however many years, you're going back 70-odd years, which is obviously nearer like the slave trade era. And I think it's commonplace that people's views then were so different to how our views are now. And... He was a saviour in Britain and he is considered one of the big historic kind of people mm. in British society. And I I completely agree. I've read articles of what he said and I completely disagree with what he said. But I mean, back then people were racist and it's so sad that they were, but that was just what happened yeah. then. And But I really, from a British point of view, I don't agree with defacing his statue. We'd be living in a Nazi Germany if it wasn't for him and... Okay, I understand he had his racist views, but I'm it's hard to say really, but I think it was back then people were and you have to kind of you want to be able to move on and you learn from history. The whole point in having history is that you learn from your mistakes and that you don't try and repeat those mistakes. 
I completely would agree with the Edward Coulston statue in Bristol because he was a slave trader. Yeah, yeah. And there are numerous roads, schools, hospitals named after him. So I understand that. And I know there's quite a big BAME community in Bristol. So I, I agree with maybe protesting around it, but I don't agree with pulling it down because that's criminal damage. And I mean, I don't agree with violence. I completely agree with protesting and having a peaceful march and but I really don't agree with violence and I feel like in the UK some of and in America some of the protests got really violent which is that's not the underlying you don't want to promote violence you're there to promote a cause and to be positive and scream loud black lives matter but not be violent and I feel like some people maybe use the protest as a way out of COVID to be violent which is so sad and you hear it reported that people like police brutality and stuff but it's not that police officers they how do you know if that police officer's been racist you're kind of grouping them as a whole and saying you're racist and throwing bricks and whatever at horses I really didn't agree with Mm. um yeah uh, I don't think anyone's trying to take any accomplishments away from Churchill um, we're all aware of what he did for the country. However, it's about acknowledgement of what he was saying and what he said and how he felt about certain groups of people and what he did to certain mm-hmm. groups of people. I think it's acknowledgement because um, no one's trying to take away what he did, but what about those people who suffered because of his views mm-hmm. and all the mm-hmm. other actions that he took? Like To completely dismiss that and to completely dismiss the people who were who were affected by him and people who are um who are offended by his words their feelings mm-hmm. shouldn't be dismissed and i think it's something to take into consideration like he he was he was racist and he did make racist comments and he did say he did do bad things mm-hmm. because of his beliefs mm-hmm. and i do not think that should be ignored i think it needs to be acknowledged and i think it's a fair view that if people don't want his statue up then it shouldn't it, you know what i mean like yeah, it's, absolutely. It's, it offensive. Is... it's offensive to some. It's offensive to people who fall into that category who mm. um, are not right and who he held these prejudices against. No one's taken away what he did. No one's taken away <laughs> what he did at all. But it's about acknowledging people who suffered and people who still suffer by the words that you said because they're still hurtful till this day. Absolutely, I think it is. It would. It will always be an ongoing debate between you know do we hold someone accountable for the, I mean, for his past, for his views? Um, some say that I think we should, like, I agree with Leone, like, he also, you know, his views have, like, had that detrimental effect to BAME communities going forward, like, maybe in the 60s and the 70s, like, um, with all the Windrush era as well, it is quite... It's had an impact for sure. It affects people till this day. Exactly. That's people's grandparents. Mm. And then I think from another perspective, it's like he's he's put there up as a statue for his war efforts and for what he done for Britain in general. So I think it was it will always be church will always be a strong debate between um, people as to whether. He was a war hero, or but I, I completely appreciate both of you for sharing your opinions on that matter because I think it's equally as important. And I think this podcast was a stage for you to both 
both share your opinions. Um, so, on a final note, just to bring things to a close, um, Kamal and Leon, you're both BAME advocates, as I am myself. What um, what are we currently doing to um, promote racial equality and the support that we're giving to BAME students at the moment? Yeah, um, I would say the university has been quite proactive, at least um, our campus dean, he's been really good with us. Um, she has a lot of ideas. She seems to be really enthusiastic about the whole thing. And most importantly, she's willing to support us both um, with her power and monetarily as well. She always tells us as a budget if we need to do anything, which is good. Um, but yeah, we've been doing a lot of um, research on unconscious bias, uh, racial discrimination, um, ways in which we can help the community sense um, freshest, freshest week, um, scholarships, like literally anything that we can do um, to help bridge the gap between white and non-white people in terms of the racial awarding gap. And then also being able to help people try and get jobs. Um, I would commend the university for um, getting these main advocates and, and being proactive and trying to make a difference. Um student vice president um assume that you're going to take on the role again next year hopefully um from that perspective what do you think the guildford campus can do um to support bame students i think i know that we, we discussed a little bit about it earlier but do you have um any events or ideas that you have lined up for next year Mm-hmm. So at our Guildford campus, we regularly, each semester, we have quizzes. And I know that's a really good way of getting the whole community together so that no one feels left out and everyone's included. And we also have a Christmas ball that everyone is invited to, although you have to pay a small fee. That is an excellent event to ensure you get course cohesion and that everyone's involved. And then hopefully next year I'm planning on doing a summer barbecue across all year groups and all courses which I'm hoping to at least have 100 plus people wow. on our croquet courts with a barbecue and like a fun sports day. And I, I think you just need to have events going on mm. all the time to ensure that it is at our Guildford campus. It's such a smaller campus. In my class, I have about 20 to 25 students and I know on the LPC it's a tad busier, but it is a quiet campus. It's a lovely campus, but you need to ensure you have continuous events to make sure students are intermixing with one another and no one feels left out and I think even having areas like last year I campaigned for us to have a new common room and I achieved that so that we have different areas other than the canteen where you can chill out and relax and having group study areas is an amazing way to get to know new people and you should be able to go up to someone and say oh, I need a hand with this, are you able to help me? And I feel at the Guildford campus, me personally, I would be able to do that. And it'd be nice to have everyone feeling like that, where they can walk up to anyone or even at lunch, go and sit with anyone they like, whether they are whatever year group, just anything. And it's, I really want to achieve that next year and I hope I do. Yeah, definitely. Well, um, two, one... So that brings us to the close of the podcast. I'd like to thank Tabitha, Kamal and Leone for joining me today. I know how much of a heavy topic this is and there is a lot of stuff that we didn't cover and there's a lot of stuff that we did. Um, just as a quick note on behalf of you, Law, um, 
As a university, we accept our responsibility to address all forms of racism, harassment and discrimination. Um, we are determined that no one should feel isolated and we stand shoulder to shoulder with our black students, colleagues and alumni intent on offering our full support both now and in the future. Um, hopefully, we hope that things do get better and that moving forward, there will be many events, as mentioned, um, by the BAME advocates and Tabitha, um, how we'll address the issues. Um, so, yeah, I'd like to thank all of you for joining me today on the podcast. Um, hope it's... Yeah, thank thanks so much, man. Thanks for having us. Thank you so much, I would like to send out a short message to all of those that are still listening from the University of Law and all the other students from other universities and staff members. We know that there is more that we can do. And as the university and myself, we invite all students and staff and everyone listening and the alumni to be involved in these discussions and to work with the university to address racism. We want to create a safe, supportive space where students and staff can have open and honest conversations about racial injustice and discrimination. We do not and will not tolerate any form of racism, and we encourage you all to call it out when you see it, and stand with those affected and raise your voice to those in charge. If we all do this together, we can start the long process of actually making change rather than just acknowledging that it's not right that people are treated differently because of the heritage of their genes and pretend we are powerless to make a difference. We also like to offer our support for any students who have been affected by the recent events and encourage them to make contact with the welfare team at their campus. Uh, the University of Law offers an online support community for all our students and staff called the Big White Wall which provides an anonymous 24-7 safe, confidential and moderated space for students to talk about their experiences, to explore their feelings and learn how to improve and self-manage their emotional well-being. I encourage you all to keep spreading the message and keep the BLM movement alive on Instagram and to ascend all your social media and to spread awareness so that we can eradicate racism from our world. So until next time, I hope you all stay safe. Thank you again for listening and goodbye.